Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Today I have Matt Shields. He created a a company called Epic Hearts. It's a platform to showcase the return to participation in performance sports after a heart attack. And Matt grew up, you know, exploring the outdoors and developing a passion for riding, you know, bicycles. He actually reached high performance levels in road cycling competing in Europe. By the age 40, he suffered a major heart attack when uh, he was starting to go for a, um, a bike ride or a run. Uh, Matt's going to talk about his personal story and his connection to Heart Research Australia. Uh, from a heart attack to cycling 433 kilometers across New Zealand. Amazing. Uh, heart research technology and sheer determination. Matt has now created um, an amazing system whereby he uh, he helps people that um, have heart conditions. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that and go through his history. And uh, welcome, Matt. My uh, software, which is called MyLM, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of MyLM, and that uh, software is, you know, is used to track products like stints um, in the medical supply chain. So that's the kind of the, the thing that came out of my, uh, my journey. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. Excellent. So, all right, your, your software tracks the usage and deployment of stents? Is that what it's about? Yeah, through the supply chain from like uh, factories, warehouses, right through to uh, hospitals and uh, potentially customers, which are the, the you know, uh, the, the patients or the surgeons, you know. So, well, what happens now? Is there, uh, I mean, is inventory not kept very well? Like, what, uh, what are some of the problems that necessitated you making the software? Yeah, well, a lot, lot of the problems is that uh, the supply chains around the world, uh, once they leave places like America, they arrive in other countries like Australia, and there's not real, real good. Uh, traceability systems and often uh, people like sales reps do the stock taking so there's not much visibility inside the hospital wall so my technology makes that possible by using things like RFID to automate the process and create a sort of real-time visibility for not just uh, the sales reps off say the STEM companies like Abbott but also the hospital uh, teams like the theater nurses and scouts on the floor uh, who are actually putting the, these uh, life-saving products in people. So that's kind of what, what we're bringing to the table here through the, the MyLim. Well, what happens right now? Is there over-ordering by hospitals? Are there shortages? Does it delay operations? What happens? That's right, yeah. So there's a whole lot of uh, impacts, you know, through uh, oversupply products, uh, you know, parts expire because uh, they only have limited shelf life because their, their nature have been sterile. Uh, there's, there's items that could be in uh, one theatre and, uh, possibly uh, just across the, or down the corridor, there, there could be similar parts that, that no one knows about. So there's uh, huge uh, supply issues within hospitals right now, especially in the public system. There's a lot of redundancy in the system uh, and that, that obviously adds up to the increasing cost of healthcare because of, uh, you know, oversupply of goods. How many different kinds of stents are there? Is it, you know, and are they differentiated by size or length or... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good point. So there's many different types of stents. You've got, uh, you know, one one of the ones. So like, the, like if we get into my, to my story, uh, you know, I've got a like a this, this cardiac stent, which is a 
uh, made of a different type of materials like they're normally made of cobalt chrome. They're kind of a, a balloon expanding stint. And then you've got other ones which are self-expanding stints, which kind of go in your legs, you know, for vascular disease. So there's a couple of different flavors of stints and uh, and these things come with, uh, you know, either uh, bare metal stints or even drug eluding. They've impregnated with different types of chemistries on the, on the, on the coatings to help them uh, be absorbed into the body better. So when someone's going to have a stent, what's the current cascade of things that happen? What's the request system look like? How long does it take to get a stent? Like who goes and looks in the box in the warehouse and pulls out the right stent? I'm, you know, I know it's not like that, but what's it like? Yeah, yeah it, is, it is pretty much like that. Like it's sort of like you, you mentioned yourself walking into a, uh, into a library and uh, all, the, all these products are lined up on the shelf and they often uh, go in ranges of like yeah, diameters and lengths and, and often uh, amongst those, the, the, the lots, uh, batches or expiry dates are kind of hidden. So you often find that uh, people are grabbing products, you know, because of the nature of, uh, you know, sort of like cardiac uh, surgeries or vascular ones. Often you just you grab something that fits, you know, the right size, you know, an, an artery can be different diameters. So often you know, things are getting grabbed and pulled off the shelves in no order. And, uh, and, and often things uh, you just, just sit there and can expire if they're a, a certain size or, or or maybe if a, if a batch needs to be recalled, you know, it's very hard to look at the, the serial number and read that. It's, it's impossible if you're a, a theatre nurse, you know, to see. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, issues around uh, labelling and things like that. So if you have a metal stent, I guess you'd worry about oxidation. If you have a multi-factor stent or a stent that's composed of multiple materials, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they need to be stored in certain humidity, dryness away from light, if they have drugs impregnated in them, the drugs have a shelf life, there could be contamination, like who is accounting for how the stents should be stored, how long they last and everything? Yeah, yeah, well, that's all sort of controlled, uh, you know, uh, when a medical implant is, uh, you know, goes to the, the FDA or, or a similar uh, regulatory body, there's all sort of conditions around the, the type of product, you know, if it's a, if it's a newer product uh, that might be on a, a, a trial or a pilot. Once it's manufactured, the, the product's actually uh, aging and, uh, and that's process uh, before it's even put into sterilization is like a clock ticking so every product you've got and a lot of these um, medical devices you know around the planet are all on consignment so basically uh, the cost is weighed by uh, the supplier of the parts and, and and for many of the time they have no visibility of where these are so if you can have a better sort of uh, indication of uh, so like a heat map or reporting or, or dashboards and, and what we're doing here is creating these command centers which allow all the personas and stakeholders to actually have better uh, insights into their, uh, you know, sales or decision-making, which is going to create a lot of efficiencies throughout the system. What's your benchmarking? Like what metrics of the stent process are really uh, in need of help in your software? What has it changed? You know, the delivery time, the, the, the overage supply. I mean, what, what metrics have you uh, looked at? Well, there's a lot of key ones, you know, you just mentioned there, say from uh, delivery time, you know, looking at from the factory, often a lot of these uh, parts are uh, made in many, many sites uh, where there's a whole uh, supply chain of raw materials and then they're, they're all fed into like big distribution centres, you know, sort of in Europe or in America and, and then they're farmed off to the supplier country. So even between, uh, you know, from the factory uh, to the distribution centres and then as they uh, cascade down this sort of this waterfall, by the time they arrange themselves into like countries, say like Australia, there's, there's things that happen to the products, you know, some end up getting consumed, others get damaged on the way there. There's not much sort of uh, feedback in the system and often the, 
the cost of returning these products is lost and also with the information that might come from people like on the teams you know imagine right now you have a uh, a box of uh, pacemakers or something like that has turned up and they haven't been treated well or uh, there's information on those uh, around the quality it, it doesn't often get fed back to the uh, manufacturing site so what we're hoping to do here is create sort of dialogue around the part transfer at, at a, a granular level like a we call it a, a UDI or a unique device level and that's sort of the, the the point of difference is, is what we're doing is we're creating this uh, ability to track things at a granular level for uniqueness. Well, so if a hospital is getting stents from multiple places, how do they know? So, I mean, there's no feedback mechanism to say like, oh, these stents that we got from, you know, company A were problematic, but these stents from company B were much better and then change how they're ordering and the amounts they're ordering. It is, yeah. Like it's it's a funny system because like what, what you might imagine uh, in a hospital is that uh, basically they'll say, oh, I uh, need this range of products. You know, these, these type of patients are coming in. And it'll be sort of on a, on a tender-based process. So people apply, you know, I've got a product that meets the, the specs here. And then what happens, you've got the, the sales rep, they're actually they're in, in, in the theatres with the, the surgeons and the patients and they, and they look after cases. So often a lot of the, the feedback actually comes back through like sales reps, you know, working on the floor, getting information, saying, oh, this this product, you know, we, it's defective or this one's really good and let's make more of these. It's, it's very hard to get that information fed back uh, up the supply chain, back to uh, either marketing or manufacturing. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, disparity throughout the system and, uh, you know, it's, it's a complex uh, model that uh, these companies are working in. Yeah, this isn't good, though, because patient outcomes could be... Uh... I mean, influenced tremendously by good or bad equipment. So if you've got stents, you know, like let's say it's critical that your hospital has a, you know, a certain percentage patient patient outcome for, you know, stenting and the stents you get, you're not tracking and you get a batch that's bad or, you know, and you just continue to order that one and that lowers your, uh, you know, your patient outcome metric substantially. I mean, that can like ruin your funding, all kinds of stuff. You won't get awards. I mean, it, it seems like this needs to be paid attention to. You know, for various right. reasons. It is, it is. And, and also, like, when you think about, like, the scale of this, is really quite in, incredible. Uh, we talk about, like, sort of the, the time of tracking products and, and things uh, expiring, but it, it comes down to uh, actually these, these huge numbers. And this is something, I guess, where people often don't know that, you know, cardiovascular disease is sort of like one out of every three deaths. Uh, it's 31% of deaths globally and uh, related to heart disease and, uh, you know, heart attacks. Uh, out of out of that, it's sort of like four out of five deaths. So I think uh, in America there was something like uh, eight hundred and five thousand, uh, you know, related death to uh, you know cardiovascular disease. And and when you look at this on a you know a global level, there's probably something like uh, I think it's seventeen point nine million people uh, died uh, related to, to you know coronary artery disease uh, in twenty nineteen. So it's pretty staggering numbers there. Well, I should ask you right off the bat, how did you get this idea and why is this important to you? Why have you worked on the software? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a fascinating story. Like my background uh, from the CSRO working in the space science division, where we actually developed technologies like Wi-Fi and building big telescopes led to this invention. And so when I sort of stepped back uh, to where this, this all started from, we were, we were trying to build a telescope in the West Australian desert called ASCAP. And this telescope was an array uh, of dishes that all look up into space for, for tracking things like black holes and uh, pulsars. And 
what they needed was a, a database to track uh, individual components, which, which made the telescope up. So I'd been working on this project for, for about 10 years and I was sort of looking for a change, but I didn't really know uh, what I wanted to do with my life. And then uh, this one uh, winter morning on the, the 12th of July in 2016, I was going to run to work, you know, in my usual 15 kilometre run to work down the highway. And I got up and I, I started this run and straight, straight away into the run, I, uh, I suffered a massive heart attack. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. It was like a, a shotgun to the chest. Like I uh, all of a sudden uh, stopped in my tracks and I'm there uh, on the side of the road, like sitting in the gutter, like dying. And I, I pulled out my, my phone and I called for the emergency and I just uh, said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, no. uh, and these guys have said, hey, we're, uh, we've got a, an ambulance coming and we're, uh, we're, we're coming for you. Just, just wait there. And I, I remember really quite clearly uh, sitting there on the side of the road and there, was, uh, there wasn't anyone around. I was, I was on my own. There was, there was no one there and I could actually see a, uh, see a car coming. And I'm like, oh, this is it. It's like, no, no, we're, we're still. And then this, this car comes and, and parks next to me and uh, they open the doors and then they, they put these, these bags down and these, these, these cups of coffee go down and then they pick up their coffee cups and they, they run off to the train station. I was, I was just left on the side of the road going, I can't believe it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dying here and no one's, no one's going to help me. And, and at that point I realised, uh, you know, it was, it was all about me and I, 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 it was only me who was going to get me through. And the, the ambulance did arrive and we headed off down the highway into the teams at the ICU at a hospital called Royal North Shore in Sydney. And basically uh, what happened, the team was ready. They were waiting for me to come in through. And when we landed in the theatre, there was a, a whole bunch of people, a bit like the Intel lad in uh, like blue spacesuits, and they injected this dye into my bloodstream, which was displayed on an enormous, enormous TV screen. It was kind of like watching... Uh, IMAX, you know, at the, the movies, but it was my heart on the screen. And the, the way I like to think about it uh, for, for like the people listening here, it's sort of a bit like, imagine you're, you're, you're scuba diving in the ocean and there's these bits of coral, it's sort of like a fan coral. And I remember the heart, it should have lots of vessels and things. Uh, it was like completely like someone had chopped the trunk off it. There was, there was no blood flow. And I knew this was, this was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, this ain't good here. And uh, there was people attaching, uh, you know, big things for defibrillators and sticking a drill in my arm and connecting all these pipes up and, and I'm kind of conscious and, and watching all this happen in real time. And then they, they took this catheter and they introduced it into my right arm in a, an area of the radial artery and then they insert this guide wire. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And uh, this little guide wire goes up your arm and then through into your heart and you're looking at it on the screen and there's basically the discovery there's this big branch of the heart where the coronary artery, uh, it's called the left arterial artery, descending artery, LAD, uh, was shut off. And that's what they call the, uh, the Widowmaker. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and so the Widowmaker, uh, hence to that, uh, can be uh, actually worse than, than a standard Widowmaker. There's a thing called a, a STEMI. So a STEMI is like a elevated ST wave when you, when you look at the, the signals, but it was a complete 100% blockage. So basically from the time I'd 
uh, called the ambulance and I had that heart attack. My, my heart was dying. So there was no uh, oxygen getting to the, the bloodstream. And what happened is that they, uh, you know, through this guide wire, they put a, a balloon into my artery and they then uh, expanded the artery walls open. So they applied some uh, you know, pressure, which, which blows open the artery uh, from where it's uh, basically shut off. And then this is where the, the really cool part where the magic happens is that the, the stent, this is where this uh, Abbott Zion stent is introduced through that artery and into my heart. And then they put it into position and then they literally deployed the stent. It's kind of like uh, expands into the artery, holding it open. Were, and that, uh, were you able to watch this on the screen? I was watching all this live. It was like a, uh, <laughs> it was a, I had a front row uh, seat to my entire life. You know, it was, uh, it was incredible. And the, uh, once, once the, the stent went in, the pain went away and, and it just felt like, oh, I think I'm going to be okay now. I think this is, this is going to be, this is going to be all okay. Wow. That's crazy. It, huh. it, it was, it was pretty amazing. Like what, what was the hard thing about it that I, I thought I was actually in really good condition. You know, I was, I just turned 40. I've been training for some uh, running events and, and this thing just came out of the blue. And uh, what I didn't know about is, and this is the, the tricky point, you know, you might survive the heart attack but the hardest bit actually happens after the heart attack. Like this is this was only the easy bit I was I was to find out. Why? What do you mean? So, uh, like I guess um, you know we we spoke about some statistics earlier. You know, uh, so like eight hundred and five thousand people in America might have a heart attack, and uh, you know the average age is sort of in their sixties, you know, like sixty four or sixty five. And uh, for women, it's a little bit older. But uh, one of the the hard things is that I think uh, in America, I know that a lot of women uh, have. Uh, worse outcomes than men, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's not as good care, uh, but between both, uh, a lot of people, when they have a heart attack, they actually don't live very long after they have uh, either heart damage or they need a pacemaker or their um, electrical signals have been been stuffed up. So you can't get back to, to living life. And back to kind of the, the, the dialogue and the story that we're working on here is that how, how did I kind of turn this around to get back into this position to you know, build this app, you know, I was literally in ICU. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And then uh, I woke up the next morning and I, I decided it's like, if I'm going to, if I get out of this hospital, I want to, I want to dedicate my uh, life into healthcare and building some app that's going to, going to change the world and, and, and fix these problems around, uh, you know, parts uh, arriving uh, in hospitals. And, and that's sort of what I did the, literally on the spot that next morning. That's cool. But why, why that? Was it, uh, did you have a problem where they didn't have the right stent for you or like, how did you have an intuition that that's what you needed to do in particular? Yeah, well, sort of at the time, I felt like I, I kind of, I knew I wasn't going to be able to return to work. Uh, so I moved out of the city down to a, like a very small coastal town with a couple of thousand people. And, uh, you know, it was going to take a long time uh, to recover. You know, my, my heart was, it had no oxygen going to it for uh, like a, an over an hour and, uh, the heart damage, they said, uh, might, might be repairable. So they said, you know, no more running or riding. And I used to do a lot of, uh, you know, sporting pursuits. And and then they said also, you know, this um, is going to change your life. You might be able to go back to work. So I started think, thinking, like, if, if it's going to be about anything I know, it's like I, I want to do something that's going to make a difference to people. So basically what I started looking at was like, well, I need to get strong. And my, my work said to me, it's like, take some time off. Uh, and that kind of that opened up my thought patterns to uh, literally, you know, how do I do something that's really, really cool on a global scale? 
uh, with, with technology, and that's where the, the idea came from. Yeah, well, the reason why I ask is I've, I've thought, you know, myself, I don't, I'm not trying to turn this into me, but, you know, we're doing the podcast, what can I do in science? So that's why I ask you, because, um, you know, what's the best use of your talents? So it sounds like it's not sitting in a lab and just researching, you know, fundamental research. You decided the best use of your talents was software, which is cool, but it's just, it's unusual, I guess, that you decided it in the moment. So that's why I asked. It was, it was an instantaneous decision. Like I had this thought in my head of like, well, how, how can I do this? And the fact I'd seen it done with like Wi-Fi, you know, I, I worked in the lab with, with this team developed, you know, a technology uh, inside Sydney, which has gone, gone global. Like I'd seen it done before, you know, the, the relevance of this, this telescope, like looking into the galaxy, finding, you know, black holes, you know, this sort of got me inspired to say, well, imagine right now, this is my one chance at life again. I don't know how long I've got. I'm going to try and make it count. And so what my next step was is uh, when I returned to work was uh, I need to find a sponsor. You know, I need to I need to do this. And my, my team said to me, he's like, well, well Matt, you, uh, you're you going to have to uh, leave behind your, your current position in the space group and, and work for another, another department and find an investor. And luckily enough, I found a, an investor uh, in the project and then we started to build it. And this this led to, uh, you know, me heading to uh, the Bay Area. I went over to San Francisco. I met with some development teams in the US and started getting some ideas around building a, a product that could actually scale and, and uh, become a, you know, a, a best-selling app on the, on, the, on the app exchange. Yeah, that's very cool. So it's uh, right now, like, where is the app at? It's being used. And again, what are some of the success metrics that you've, uh, you know, you can show right now? How well is it? Yeah, working? yeah. Well, I guess it comes down to, you know, how, how do you actually find out the relevance of the, the product? And, and this is sort of before you sort of step back into the technology side of things, I started actually spending a lot of time in the operating theatre. So I uh, was working side by side with some, with some surgeons uh, on my own journey. And uh, actually out of this, uh, through, through a bit of diagnostics, it led me to this understanding of like a lot of patient outcomes detrimented uh, due to uh, people not acting quick enough or, or parts not available. So, you know, we spoke about time before, and that's, that's one of the things I wanted to do here is create a, a technology which was really good at uh, tracking time and how long things take to get to places that are important. So what I started looking through this was, well, maybe this step that I got, maybe it could have got there quicker. Like what happened if it didn't turn up there? And, and this allowed me to actually look into the supply chains of hospitals and where I found out I had this, this Abbott stint. So my, my next step was, I should really get in contact with uh, with Abbott and and ask them if I can um, come and meet meet the team and and give a little talk on what I'm doing. So I got to actually uh, present in front of the the team at Abbott there, and these guys gave me some insights and some of the problems. So what we started doing is working towards a series of goals uh, related from you know the hospital perspective, but right through to the, the manufacturing supply chain. And this is where uh, the evolution of the technology actually started to. Uh, become really quite interesting. So again, what specifics can you point to numerically? Like was the average lead time two weeks and now it's eight days? You know, are you at that point where you now have some aggregate data that shows, okay, the software saved, you know, 46 million in delays or, you know, again, it reduced the average time, waiting time from this to this. Do you have any of those metrics? Are you at that point yet? Yeah, I guess in our point right now, we're really looking at very, very specific use cases around moving stock between certain parts of sites, moving things in the supply chain. Like the value is 
it's really uh, quite hard to tell uh, if you're in a hospital environment, you know, where these things are moving, just because you don't own the stock. They're on, they're on consignment here. So a lot of things are trying to pin down use cases and business models, which, uh, you know, are quite new to uh, you know, people solving the problem. So that kind of stuff we're, we've got the got the data on, been working in uh, various locations on the, the testing and it will be kind of available, you know, in the near future. But the key kind of component here, which is really the exciting part, this is where uh, a lot of these companies are heading now, and especially with Abbott, they're moving into, you know, directions of diagnostics and testing and, and things like AI and, and being able to actually uh, pick things up around these, these trends. You know, one of the, the key components here is that when people ask me, you know, why, why did this happen to you? And it's like, well, at the time I didn't know, but this is all uh, comes back to things like, uh, you know, genetics and diet and the things that are actually in, you're in control of. So a bit like the technology of, you know, knowing where your, your products are moving and, and where they've come from, the problems that we're seeing here in the world, which is affecting, you know, like a third of uh, the population, uh, they're all, all correctable. You know, these kind of things that I discovered for me, like was a, was related to my cholesterol, was related to my diet. It's, it's all small tweaks that can be done, uh, you know, to recorrect yourself. And that's a bit like anything, you know, if, if you don't have the information, uh, you can't make uh, good decisions. No, that's true. That's true. So what's next for the software? What, where do you want to take it from here? I mean, I spoke to a guy, it's been a while, but he was focused on managing the inventory of medicines in hospitals. And there was like a whole host of reasons why that would be, you know, tremendously beneficial. So, I mean, you know, maybe a partnership with someone like that, or in addition to stents, maybe you go into all the medical devices and, you know, why not increase this, uh, this system for all of them? It would really like, it would probably help a hospital's bottom line, like big time, you know? It will. And, that, and that's our plan. The, the whole uh, program is behind uh, basically medical devices and the supply chain for, for any, any prosthesis. You know, we're talking here from, yeah, not just uh, pacemakers and stents, uh, right through to all parts of orthopedics and, and other applications. Uh, the way the, the thing that has been designed, it's based on a series of uh, you know, standards. People are familiar with uh, things like uh, the GS1s for, for barcoding. It's, it's all based around those kind of protocols. And, and that allows you to, you know, even right down to, you know, tracker, an avocado or a, or a you know, a car. It's all, all the same, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a product and we just track it through as a whole series of, processes uh, through locations and ownership models. So what we're going to do here is uh, once we've sort of tested out this pilot within Australia over the next 12 months or so, the idea is to actually start pushing globally and, and try and get this product out onto the market and, and create some impact, you know, through into the US and other parts of Europe. So there's uh, yeah, a lot of uh, exciting times ahead. Where, so where can people go to find out more that have listened? You know, obviously, if they're part of a hospital, it makes total sense. Um, even if they're not, where can they go to, again, see your progress and uh, keep tabs? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff available at the moment since uh, we're in kind of a, a spin-out or startup mode from the CSIRO. The best way to go is to, to type in yeah, CSIRO and uh, MyLM. So, yeah, that's uh, CSIRO, MyLM, and we've got a whole uh, series of uh, information and flyers there. Uh, basically, uh, there's a, a whole swag of use cases, depending if you're a manufacturer or a uh, hospital like what we're looking at uh, over the next uh, year or so is to you know, develop this company and and to mention you know we, we've created a, a startup company which is the 181st startup out of CSRO so uh, for me you know it's a it's a big step 
uh, away from a, you know, a job working with uh, you know, scientists and, uh, and astronomers and a huge research institution to uh, you know, founding a company and becoming a tech startup guy. So it's kind of a, a, going to be an interesting couple of years ahead. Excellent. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.